filmmaking from idea to distribution and everything in between. We focus on you getting your project in the can and for the world to see. Thank you for listening to the Austin Action Press Podcast. Now let's get cracked. Well, good afternoon and welcome back to the Austin Action Fest and Market Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Nathaniel Reddick II, aka The Violence Conductor. Today I have with me Daniel Cavanis Weatherford, aka The Golden Child. Say hi, Daniel. Hello. And our esteemed guest from Film Reframe, Roman. Let's cheer and clap for Roman. Welcome. It's the crowd's wild adulation. So tell us a little about yourself, Roman. Hey, so I'm Roman Suola Martinez, and I'm the founder of Film Reframed. I'm a storyboard artist and a film director, and I'm here to help filmmakers around the world learn how composition and visual storytelling can improve their films. Awesome. Awesome. So where did we meet at again? Was that AFM or South by Southwest? South by Southwest. Yeah, awesome. my partner and I attended uh, South by, got the poster uh, rolled up in a tube here next to me, getting ready to get it framed. Some pretty cool graphic design this year. But uh, yeah, the digital festival. That I'm digging awesome. what's behind you, by the way. I love what's on your... Oh yeah, check it out. I got my uh, records on my wall here. Uh, <laughs> a bit far away from I me. I like but that. You can see nice. some classics. Uh, we got a lot I of good ones I need to do here. that. Thank you for doing that. Because now you gave idea. me an idea because I have all these old records sitting over here and I want to... I have a couple as well. I have a bunch of, bunch of old records. I didn't think about that. That's a good idea. Yeah, we got everything very highly curated over here, but one of the best ones right over my shoulder right here. This is Jennifer Holiday hanging out. Okay. Hanging oh, and I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. no, I'm going to have to drop Danielle some little things it. in there. <laughs> That's awesome. So I'm curious about um, just about South by Southwest in general. Was that a I don't know if you want to, if you can't say anything, just say plead the fifth. Cause I'm going to ask you real questions. Was it beneficial? Do you think uh, for you guys to attend? Because a lot of people we know didn't go to South by Southwest and when they do go, they're just there to party. So mm. as a person who went for business, I'd like to hear your take on it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's so many reasons why it is incredibly beneficial. At least I think it, it all, um, depends on your mindset going in and what you're looking to do. Uh, because I would say that all the people that go to, you know, as you're saying, go party there as well. They are, it's also beneficial for them. They're getting to go have a great time and party and <laughs> make connections in that way. But it's almost like a choose your own adventure of, uh, what, what you want to do with your time there, how you want to connect. For instance, my partner and I, since we're, uh, here with Film Reframed and looking to educate filmmakers. We spend a lot of time looking to connect with people who might see benefit from that. And uh, we listen to a lot of the educational talks, um, you know, basically what would be the keynotes on a normal year uh, at South by, I we spent a lot of time digging into that stuff and seeing the, uh, the film content that we knew wouldn't be released uh, in a widespread capacity on streaming later on, you know, so there were some, I know a lot of people like to go and see the big premiere thing before everybody yeah. else sees it, particularly like film critics or journalists. But uh, for us, it was more about seeing the little stuff that we knew if we didn't dedicate that time to doing it during South by that's the stuff that would fall off our radar and we might miss some really talented new people 
or we might not, you know, get tuned into a concept that's brand new. So we're there for the innovation side of it. And it went really well for us. Got it. No, that's actually um, what kind of opened my eyes was South by Southwest was the first real film festival I attended that was, you know, had some weight to it. And I tell this story a lot, but I was going to actually see Shirley's Theron's um, Atomic Blonde because she was there and I was like, oh, it's going to be a cool event. And I was doing film reviews at the time, which I still do on occasion, uh, which is, there's a, I'll get to that later. Um, I still do film reviews. And so I was like, all right, cool. I'll get a, an advanced screening of that. Talk about it. It'd be cool. There was no way I was getting that event. It was the, the line was around the building. Um, there just was no way I was going to get to see it. And I was like, all right, well, that's cool. I'm a little bummed. What else is there to do that's film related? And, uh, Right next door was a producer's roundtable, and it had three legitimate, like an HBO producer, somebody else from some other documentary, and then the guy who did East Los High. There's like three legit producers. You're seven people per table, and it was only one slot left, so it was just meant to be. So I went in there, and I was like, it just hit, it just struck me that there's probably a bunch of filmmakers that are across the street watching Shirley Theron on screen on a movie that's gonna come out in two or three months. Most of them are not film reviewers. So maybe they'll do a cool post, but they're not gonna do a review that's gonna make him any money. And I was like, I shouldn't have even wanted to go to that. I should have wanted to come here because I'm a filmmaker. So that's cool. That movie was a lot of fun, but there's money in this room and my career advancements in this room. And I didn't even realize South by Southwest had that. Before when I was going, I thought it was, listen to cool music, watch some cool movies and call it a day. And I didn't even look at it from the business building aspect. So um, we try to let everybody know that it's, I mean, the screenings are great, but there's a lot of cool people, i.e. yourself that you can meet if you take some time to really kind of, kind of dig into that kind of stuff. So Yeah. There's an interesting duality being a filmmaker or a creative person, uh, which is that you are likely in the industry you're in because you appreciate the work that's made. So like you love movies, you love Charlize Theron's acting, you love the yeah. fight choreographer for Atomic Blonde. So you're like, I want to go appreciate this thing that I love, which is what got you here in the first place. But as a creator as well, you have to balance that with the side of yourself that is saying, okay, what do I do to be the one who's making that versus the one who's enjoying it? And it's, it's pretty hard to... Uh, you know, sometimes define the line between <laughs> those things, you know? So uh, I understand. I get the challenge. It's, it's tough, but uh, absolutely. Yeah. I hear you. Absolutely. So I was um, a backup singer. I was a backup singer for a band at South by Southwest many, many years ago. when it first was really in the music side. The film sub is not really? out. Just to let you know. Yeah. It's a little tidbit of. That's cool. What was the band? Uh, the bands know what I was actually the manager of, the person and she needed a backup <laughs> singer and so at that time so we had two friends step in to back up because south by southwest was new really you know around that time so i'm not gonna date myself man that's, <laughs> that's a dedicated manager though <laughs> man, it was a blast you know so what? much it's like you yeah. know i'm getting on stage too <laughs> <laughs> oh man it was a blast it was a blast so yeah that's yeah. cool i mean you, you got if you got the skills you gotta, man, go you for gotta it. step in where you're needed you know that's that superhero cape flying in the background anyway and you never know you never know when the big break's coming so you never know Boom. Yeah, exactly. but um so you how did you actually get into the uh, business of show business like what what, what drew you to it 
Yeah. Well, uh, you know, since I was two years old, I was drawing pictures and I always wanted to uh, draw and, and become an artist. That's what I was all about for, you know, speaking of like understanding your purpose or knowing your focus for my young adult life. All I would do is draw all day, every day, go through tons of sketchbooks, uh, end up with piles of papers in my room. And uh, <laughs> what were it, you drawing, by the way? Just really curious. Oh, oh, yeah. All kinds of stuff. I really am interested in, uh, you know, mythology. And when I was a kid, you know, reading the Greek myths was really impactful for me and seeing like all the visual stuff that would come out with, you know, there was uh, Pokemon on television and there were magic cards and they have these crazy illustrations on them. And so you just yep. see all these things and you take from anything from like, you know, watching the old The Mummy movie plus a uh, Pikachu plus, uh, you know, Greek hero Hercules or something, put them together. I was always drawing fantastical beasts and, you know, heroic uh, macho guys but never the hands because <laughs> hands are really hard to draw when you're young uh yeah, hands are, are the most difficult thing yeah. so you always hide them behind like a big shield or you know <laughs> like if they're holding a sword you can just draw a fist which is a lot easier because it's just a you know little circle yeah. but uh <laughs> yeah so i'd be doing that stuff all the time and uh when i got into high school and i started learning more about uh film i had always seen film as kind of this completely uh, it never even crossed my mind as something uh attainable to be part of they seemed like magic things that would happen you know far away i mean it really hadn't crossed my mind at all but then i had seen uh some robert rodriguez movies and uh he is uh especially earlier in his career is incredibly vocal about like helping young filmmakers and getting uh people inspired to make things and so i read his uh production diaries which is called rebel without a crew mm -hmm. uh, and so it appealed to me because you know being in high school and uh being a young latino guy and trying to figure out what i'm doing you know seeing robert rodriguez looking kind of cool and interesting with this bandana and you know he's uh texas that's his deal you know so he's there yeah. with you guys and uh anyway i, I read his book and it seemed uh, it seemed achievable. It's like, oh, you know, it's not that hard. Like he just got in a wheelchair and had a camera, and he had a guy pull him on the wheelchair, and that was his dolly shot. It's like, oh, you can. There are there are levels between me in high school doing nothing and you know high level producers in <laughs> Hollywood with big effects. So uh, once I kind of got my head wrapped around that idea. Uh, my dad got me a little uh, JVC tape, you know, handy cam uh, to uh, maybe try it out and start filming some things. And from there, uh, I just completely fell in love with it. And and I realized that uh, all the stories I wanted to tell as an artist, as a you know graphic novelist that I wanted to become, that I could make them even more real and fully fleshed out and they could have music and they could have performances, you know, mm. and and I realized that it was just a logical next step from uh, what I was already doing as a cartoonist uh, at that time. That is, so, uh, you know, can I ask you a question? I have a quick yeah. question with that one. So at that age, you're, you're, you're dreaming and, you know, some people feel that they, 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 they run up against an obstacle and that's their, that's their own mind. 
did you feel like, wow, that's out there? I don't know if I could ever do that. Or did you just say, wow, this is cool. I think I can create. I just want to, I want to create. I, I, I don't have anything that's impeding my, my, my dreams or my ambitions. Did you just like go for? Yeah, I think that um, I wouldn't have been so uh, able to pursue those ideas and uh, my desires to be creative if it weren't for people giving me uh, positive reinforcement or being willing to jump on a project when I said, oh, I have, I have this crazy idea. Um, if it was just, if that was met with, you know, crickets in the room, then I probably would have felt a lot more self-conscious. Like, I don't want to attribute it to my particular, like, fortitude or self-esteem or whatever. What it was is uh, I would be with my friends and I'd say, hey, I'm kind of thinking I want to do this movie idea. And my friend would go, I want to be in it. Like, how, like mm -hmm. I'd be perfect. You know, so it was just all it takes is somebody else to confirm that, you know, you just need one other person to go, you know, um, you know, my partner at uh, Film Reframe, she always talks about this idea of uh, the first follower. So there's like a brilliant mind. You think of like uh, Steve Jobs or whatever, you know, uh, Einstein, whatever it is. Uh, you have a person who has a vision, they have an idea and they want to do something with it, but the ball doesn't get rolling until you have the first person who mm. steps up with you and, uh, you know, believes in you before everything's put together, you know, before you've got the whole thing worked out in a way that it's obvious that everybody should start, you know, yeah. in this metaphor, buying an iPod or something, yeah. you know, before that happens, you, uh, you need somebody to jump in and kind of look ridiculous with you at the beginning so that you can start building something serious. And so for me, that was my, my friend Adam in high school and he was my first actor in the little short film we shot, which, uh, was the, the premise was, uh, I had been reading Don Quixote, uh, and I was really inspired by the idea that there's a person who is imagining an entire reality around them, but, uh, to the rest of the world, he just looks like a crazy old man. So I wanted to do that with my friend in high school as the the lead as a kid who's just moved to a new city. And when he goes out to buy milk at the new grocery store alone, he has to walk down to the grocery store. He starts seeing all of these fantastical things like cowboys with guns and, uh, you know, seeing himself in framed as like a James Bond type character or something. He imagines all of these realities on his way to the grocery store. And then uh, you get to see what it looks like in his head versus what it looks like in real life. So he I steps out that. his door and he's a cowboy. And then he cut back to the cowboy. It's actually a little kid with a squirt gun who squirts him in the chest. And oh, that's runs cute. Away, I like, like that. that. Oh, what was the name of that? Uh, I called it Don, you know, <laughs> not so subtle <laughs> reference, Don. No, I like I, Donald, you Because know? in my head, I was thinking like Donnie Quicks or something like that, or Donnie Quick or something. That's what I was yeah. thinking in my head. Um, no, that's actually really funny because a ton of what you said is the same as it kind of as it was for me. I just didn't make the connection between the art and film. But when I was a kid, I did nothing but read comic books. I watched anime. I played video games and I drew constantly i thought i was going to be an artist when i when i grew up so i was constantly sketching i still have 
sketches all over the place right now. Like we were doing a fantasy project and I had drawn those characters like four or five years ago. Um, and I did like basically a comic book version of, I know there's a difference between a comic book and a storyboard. So it's a comic book version of one of the short stories I want to tell. Like it's all sketched out. So it was just funny hearing you say, I was like, man, I remember that that's all I did all through high school while I was working. I had a textbook on one side and a sketch pad on the other side. And the whole time they were talking, I was, the pencil was going. So that's, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great to hear that. And I just want to totally validate that, uh, you know, you're saying you're doing comic books and then you, you made that comment, well, oh, it's different than storyboards, but you know, as a professional storyboard artist, first of all, they're not that different. Uh, really? And second of all, they're you not. know, if you think of um, the recent, you know, Parasite, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen the, the movie Parasite, but they mm -hmm. released a, uh, the storyboards from the film in graphic novel form for that movie. And okay. when you look at his storyboards, they're not, uh, you know, not everything is exactly like what you might consider like industry standard storyboard format. He draws it like a graphic novel. That's why they're able to make it that book like that because um, they're clearly drawings from, Oh, he has a thought. Let me get that down, you know, from different points in time in his, you know, creation process. And you see that they end up looking really similar. So interesting. That's exactly know, what were, he did. You were doing it, you know, that's what he no. did through the whole story. Yeah, because I did see the storyboards from that. It's interesting that you say that because I literally had a guy, um, we had a conversation about this and they were saying the opposite of that. They're like, oh, well, it's different. It's got to be this. And like, I don't know. They're asking me, I was like, I don't do storyboards. And like, we need a storyboard for a VFX. And I was like, well, I don't have time to learn how to do it because it sounds like they wanted something very specific. And they probably, since they were doing VFX, wanted like the industry standard to show like a workflow. And I was like, well, I don't have time for that. So if this sketch does not work for you <laughs> of what I have in my mind, we're going to have to go another route. So um, it's just really interesting to hear you say, hear, hear you say what you said. So um, yeah, yeah I think innovation happens though. You know, I, I was listening to uh, Stephen um, Bernstein yesterday and uh, he did um, Lawrence of Arabia. Who's a, he was a C, the uh, cinematographer, a whole bunch of other stuff that he's done, Godfather and stuff like that. And he was talking about a lot of the things that he did were not industry standard. You know, he's mm. using he's using um, uh, pantyhose over certain over his um, his cameras, you know, to do certain effects. Just all these different things and blurring things and vi music videos and stuff like that that became standard later on, but not when he was you know being very creative just because just because he wanted to try mm. something different to get a certain effect out of it. So, you know, if you get the story right a certain way, um, you know, the Got people it. call you a legend later on. So, <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think that's a great point. It's very interesting because uh, it sounds like uh, Benjamin, what you're saying is, you know, maybe they have these particular needs of technical specifications to translate the drawings to uh, visual effects team. But those kinds of particularities are things that you can learn by working with that team. You don't need to be this, uh, you don't need to have it all figured out before you get in there. In fact, so many of the jobs that I've had, you can learn those particulars on site. You learn how, I mean, even in a non-creative business, if you go from one 
even let's say one accounting job to another, you may have a head of your department who likes the spreadsheets a certain way that's different from the way that your previous boss did. And those little details are the things that you can learn when you're involved on the project. And that's something you can pick up quickly, but it's the essential things. It's the, the storytelling, you know, that you learn. It's the, um, the way that your process helps develop your visual ideas. Those are the things you bring to the table. And then those little details that we consider like the standard or, oh, you got to use this form instead of this one or use this program. That's stuff you pick up while you're there. So, I mean, even just thinking right. of, you know, if I was, because I like to do this going into it thinking, if I was 15 years younger, what would I want to hear somebody say who's in that position? What would I want to know? And for me, it's like, you learn the details of the job by doing it with somebody. The, the details, the particulars of filmmaking, you're going to learn that by doing it. But the essential things, the things that are, uh, I mean, you wouldn't even consider them to be exclusive to filmmaking. That's the stuff that you develop and practice personally on your own. So uh, it's all about uh, coming in with that foundation for yourself and then knowing that you can learn. And I wish other people would know that too. You know, when we talk about a business that's full of uh, producers and and uh, investors who, uh, for good reason, are risk averse with their capital, uh, <laughs> trying to, to fund things. Um, I hope that the people that are in those roles have a good eye for people and can see where somebody can grow into the skill set they need and quickly, or you know, even just basically see what it is that people are good at and then put them in a role where it will allow them to develop that and and flourish because we have a lot of, you know, that's the reason you see the same names in the credits all the time on the big movies is because you have a, a trusted group of people and it, it doesn't take a lot of insight to know they can do the job, right? You, you don't have to intuit that they're, they're good because it's, it's there. But uh, yeah, I, I okay. look, look to people for their potential. Right. No, that makes, that makes sense. And it's funny you mentioned accounting because our other business, my wife has an accounting an accountancy uh, business. And that's part of the thing is she has to hire new accountants who may be independent and they may have their own way system of doing things. And there's like the, um, how she worded the standard accepted rules of accounting practices, which is what everybody does. But then there's like her way of maybe nomenclature, like naming files or naming, doing whatever with the clients, the needs audit or whatever. So absolutely totally on board understand exactly what you're saying um so to get into some more stuff about you guys like how does film reframed help people create a better experience for the viewer like what do you do that makes someone's project better mm. well for us we identified very quickly very early on when we started teaching that the idea of storytelling through visual medium and the idea of composing shots with intention is something that's very under instructed in film school. Uh, mm -hmm. The more we talk to people, the more we learned that maybe they had one or two classes on it, not even a full course, but like one or two days where people would talk about composition and move on. Uh, some people had no experience. It was all film theory. And then it was just how fast can you get your hands on the camera? Um, and for other people, even in a professional environment where they've gone beyond film school and been working on professional sets, 
the um, the people who do their job very well don't have a way of articulating what it is that they're doing well. You know, so the the DP may be able to say, okay, let's figure this out, put this here, go here, and then everything comes together and it's beautiful and it works great. But in terms of explaining and teaching that to somebody else, it's something that they don't have the the language for. And so for us, uh, you know, I went to illustration school to learn storyboarding so that I could visually communicate my ideas as a director. And going through that training, I learned how to tell a full story in one image, right? Illustrators, if you think of people illustrating storybooks, or if you think of um, editorial illustrators back in the day, if they'd have to tell a whole, you know, pages worth of a book, you'd have to tell that whole story in one picture. So the techniques that you learn to do that are uh, something that you can carry with you into the film world. If you have all of these images in the film world, imagine what will, uh, you know, what can happen in your movie if every shot that you choose has as much storytelling packed into it as one illustration in a book, right? You could tell an immensely more nuanced and complex story uh, through those techniques. And so for me, coming up through storyboarding and illustration and then landing in film and understanding how images uh tell a narrative over the span of two hours right in a movie combining those forces really allowed me to uh have a particular way of explaining things that resonates with filmmakers and so it's no longer information that's just reserved for cartoonists or illustrators it's information that's transferable through you know the lens of my experience working on both uh to filmmakers and what that does for the viewers is you know, you can watch a movie and if you compose the shots with intention, you almost don't even need to be able to hear the dialogue. You can go through the whole film and understand how, what the characters think, feel, do, what their trajectory is. The symbolism and the thematic meaning of the piece could all be told strictly through the visuals. And as you know, that's where film started is, uh, you know, we didn't have sound in film for many years. And so the reliance of the early movies on visual storytelling was uh something that was very um noticeable and prevalent in early movies and you start to see filmmakers drift away from that and rely on other aspects of their um of their craft you know when they they got more options available but that doesn't mean we have to lose the amount of nuance that we had uh, early on. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple of different things that you kind of address. What are the three main mistakes that you see when you watch films nowadays? Sorry, can you repeat that? So what are like three of the main things that you see that you don't think people are doing correctly or that you don't like, uh, or you think people can do better that, that you're seeing in films nowadays? Mm. Well, I think that when you when you approach something as uh, impactful as a film, when you approach something that has hundreds of people involved or even just 20 people involved, depending on the size of your film, but you approach something that has that many people, that much time, 
that much effort, that much money. When you approach something like that, you need to do it with intentionality. And um, often I think there are many aspects of storytelling that filmmakers could figure out ahead of time and strategize and, and plan for in the storytelling, not even just the production, but, but within the storytelling of it that would allow the film to transcend entertainment and become something that's of, you know, an even deeper value to the culture and a deeper value to, uh, you know, humanity as a whole. And so I know that that sounds a little bit, uh, you know, big, but uh, <laughs> you think of, you think of something as simple as, uh, you know, Jordan Peele and, and uh, his career that he's had, but you think of Get Out and you think of how it is at its core, a thriller. Um, it's a horror movie and it, uh, you know, it, it showcases all the genre aspects of what that is and tropes. So it's not necessarily doing anything to completely reinvent the wheel, but because uh, Jordan and his team imbued it with so much thoughtful intention in the way that the shots were composed in the subtext and the meaning of what the horror on screen, you know, the, what that meant for them personally and what that might mean to culture at large, they were able to make a piece of art that, uh, you know, completely overperformed in the theater and people still talk about, it's been years, people still talk about it like it just came out, you know, um, that kind of thing. That's the difference. That's what takes your work from, uh, you know, just another genre horror movie to uh, cultural, you know, phenomenon and something that matters to people and that they identify with. So, you know, to your earlier question of, you know, what do we do with film reframe that helps make the experience for the audience better? Uh, with the techniques that we teach, we're looking to take you from, you know, a genre horror film that nobody remembers to a genre horror film that leaves a lasting impression on people. <laughs> so when you say rethink film school, you know, I, I know there's all these different things in film school you have to do. I didn't go to film school, by the way. Um, uh, so what's what's different in your feeling about that experience versus your experience or a combination thereof right so i think that the foundation of storytelling starts beyond the medium of film so even though we work in film and that's what we're trying to at the end of the day we're trying to tangibly make a film what you're trying to communicate why you're trying to do it who you're trying to do it with, those ideas start before you pick up the camera. Those ideas start before you even decide you're going to be a filmmaker. How many filmmakers have you heard the story that they were something else first? You know, mm -hmm. I have a friend who was a, uh, an engineer and then found his footing in film. Um, but the idea behind what we do at Film Reframed is when you can clarify your intentions and clarify what you're bringing to the table, why you want to do this, and then how you want to express that, um, the, the technical aspects of the job, you know, how to set the aperture on the camera, whatever it may be, those technical aspects are something that you can uh, leverage the, the knowledge of your team to to use so if you're coming to film reframed you're likely a director or a actor or a cinematographer somebody who's working in um maybe the the creative aspect of film and you know that all of the uh 
the great auteur directors over time, they all relied on the technical knowledge of their team and their crew, you know, to, yeah. to get their ideas onto the page. But, yeah. but if you have a very technically accomplished crew, but you have a director who doesn't understand the intention of why they're approaching the material the way they are, then that's when you end up with just more noise in movies and not, not the actual uh, film that you wanted to make. So for us, we thought rethink film school because we've heard so many people say, you know, like, for instance, I'll say we had a uh, student testimonial who said, I went through uh, six years of filmmaking education. I got my master's in film, and I learned more about cinematic storytelling in one month at Film Reframed, just doing one class a week for an hour and a half, than I did in the entire time that I was in film school. And I think that's because, not to say that there aren't quality instructors or that they're not teaching quality material in film school, but that is to say that this particular niche of instruction, visual storytelling, is something that they don't even touch. It's something that they don't even designate a space for. And to me, yeah. we thought that seems like an incredible oversight. And for that to be so prevalent across the entire nation and other countries in their film education programs, this just seemed like, well, we have to take up this mantle and this mission to show people how intentional choices in your composition change the way that your images affect people. Got it. And uh, so that's why wow. we, we ask you to rethink it, right? So go back to the beginning and yeah. see why, what is it that you're trying to learn when you go to film school? Are you trying to learn the cameras? That's great. That's good. But are you trying to learn the visual storytelling? If so, maybe consider, you know, that that might not be where you'll find that information. Wow. Okay. So, um, since it's May the what we're in the seventh right now, si seventh right sixth, six, six. Uh, it's bad. Uh, the, the pandemic has ruined. I never know what day May of the, the week fourth it was is. Like yeah, I never know. Well, on that <laughs> on that note, did you just have did, to stick with the May the fourth be with you? Well, that's kind of the reason I'm asking the question. Did the Star Wars uh, okay, Rise okay. of Skywalker? <laughs> Um, did they make any of these mistakes that you're talking about or people just hate that movie for a completely different reason? Oh man, that's Robin? really funny. <laughs> so the, you can't answer that question without talking about the entire, you know, th this is going to be a multi-part response. Okay. So get ready <laughs> and just, and just remember through this that you asked. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what I'll say is, you know, been to our earlier part of our conversation talking about being inspired and drawing all the time as uh, kids and, and being inspired by this visual content. Nothing was more inspiring than Star Wars for visuals as a kid. You look at Darth Vader's mask and you know that that's based on samurai, you know, armor. Uh, and you're learning, you know, as a kid, you watch Star Wars and you don't know that you're learning about ancient Japanese art and culture by looking at Darth <laughs> Vader's mask, right? You just don't know that these things are happening. But like, I say that to say, look how much intentionality went into the first Star Wars movies, whether you think that they are particularly subtle or nuanced or whatever. I mean, they're, they're pulp storytelling, right? So, so they don't necessarily have to be Oscar performances, but look at look at how much they cared look how much they put into it look at look at the 
you know, this manifestation of, of all of this very purposeful and thoughtful design. And uh, I think you see that, you know, it's not a controversial opinion to say you see that at its height during the, uh, you know, second Star Wars movie, right? You know, that all of that is the, that's the apex of, of Star Wars um, and its creative force. But what you see later on and what I noticed here is um, with the, the new Star Wars film with the Rise of the Skywalker is it started to lose an understanding of what it wanted to communicate and say. Uh, there are a lot of ideas going on in the film. I, I, since I wasn't involved with it, I can't pinpoint where that comes from, but I know that uh, a lot of people will tell you, okay, well, there's a lot of producer oversight and there's a lot of like uh, pressure for this to be a legacy thing that, that also sells a lot of product on the other side. And um, there's a lot of, you know, you bring big movie stars into the picture and they have their opinions of what they mm -hmm. want it to be, or you have your directors who they maybe don't, they don't trust as much to, to get it right so they get in there but but all this is to say when you have the original star wars movies you have a guy whose passion was just out of control and he just put everything into what he was doing you have you know george lucas making these you know just doing it all him you know from his vision and now you have something that has many 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 visions involved and i think what happens when that happens is you lose clarity so what you would need in a case like this is you would need the vision and clarity of somebody who can synthesize the enormous amount of input and ideas that's coming into him from, from all sides, him or her, and uh, somebody who could synthesize that and say, this is the core of what we're talking about. You know, pick one theme from Rise of the Skywalker. You could pick the, the connection between uh, the, uh, the hero and the antagonist. You pick their like unspoken connection. That could be the theme. Or you can pick the theme of, you know, what happened to, uh, what happened to Poe? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> what, what was the arc there? And, and, um, you know, we've, we've heard even, um, you know, uh, uh, Daniel Boyega says, yeah, yeah. yeah. we, yeah. we've heard him say even publicly that like, that the film franchise lost an understanding of what to do with his character. They put him in there and then they didn't resolve his arc in any really meaningful way. And what that says to me is that they didn't understand what themes they were trying to express or stories they were trying to tell, because any character you have in your story, you can create a trajectory for them that reflects the theme and your intention. You know, yeah. uh, characters will react in accordance with what's true to them and what they believe in, but you can control the events that happen to that character. So, you know, in the narrative, I think they just lost track of what they wanted to express. And that leaves the door open for just a mishmash of ideas. So it doesn't matter how beautiful some of the shots are or how great some of the production <laughs> design is, or even how good some of the performances are in key moments. If they don't, if they don't amount to something more than themselves, then the movie just kind of goes through you. And I got to say, when I watched it the first time, I forgot almost everything that happened a few days later, which is very, un <laughs> very uncommon for me because I love movies. I love them so much and I think about them all the time, but it went right through me. And then uh, 
you know, just to know that that is because it's not grounded in anything. It frustrates me. I had the the opposite response watching that movie. I remembered everything and I was upset to a great extent uh, because you can't see it. There's two lightsabers up there. We just got done doing a May the 4th performance. And so we, I studied lightsaber combat and there's mm. the seven different forms and the crate dragon and Anakin Skywalker's form five and all this stuff. And you're like, again, attention to detail. And when you watch those guys train, like you um, and McGregor, um, wow. And Hayden Christensen, when you watch their training, like they mm. were training. And then when you see the new one, you're like, do you guys, you guys care that the fact that kids are going to want to go out and emulate this and somebody's going to like study this movie to do fighting from it. You just don't care. No, we're just going to swing things around and add new moves that no one's ever had since ever in star Wars. I was like, this is amazing. So I was actually really offended by the movie. Um, I'm not to say that I didn't enjoy parts of it, but like knowing, knowing the source that they're pulling from, and what it could have been. Mm-hmm. I'm like, we don't even talk about Sith sorcery anymore. We just stopped, nope, never. No, we don't care. I'm like, there's so Star Wars is so thick with uh lore and information, and so many other people through the books and things have taken such great painstaking care to to build that up that when you see the movie, you're like, hey guys, you guys got a ton of stuff to pull from here. Why are you acting like none of it matters? It's just a weird choice to me to to dodge and um i literally just watched a video from a closer look they do film essays or looks at stuff as well he was talking about avengers endgame and uh i don't know how you felt about that one but he it was kind of very along the lines of what you just said he said there's a ton of spectacle here but there is no story being told it's all heroic it's all the heroes the music everything is about the heroes is dominating you know, uh, Thanos, etc. He's like, there's no stakes. There's nothing here that makes you, they're never in danger. It's never like your heart isn't pumping. He's like, and he actually broke down two or three different ways. He said that you could have added more stakes to that final event. Cause I remember watching even that one and going, there's, this is not like, this isn't even better than the fight at the, at the um, airport in civil war. I like that fight better than I liked Endgame's final fight or like the people who got killed off screen. It's just like, did you guys just, yeah, they what left was out the point? Lot. They, left huh? they left out. Yeah. They left out. It was everywhere. And you know, I got lost with star Wars when the little teddy bears came in and I call them teddy bears. <laughs> and then Jaja Binks to me, those, when, when I started seeing that when I was younger, I just went, I was, I checked out. And then when the new ones came, <laughs> I, I was, I was just kind of, uh, I don't, I don't know. And I really wasn't bought into the story until the cartoons came. That's oh, what brought me back oh, in. Cause Wars. I love the car and the, and the, the bad ones, the, the bad boy part of them that just came out on the fourth. Um, those are, I'm, I'm all about the cartoons for, I, oh. I've lost, they've lost me in the other ones because exactly what you guys are talking about. It is, there's too much going on. And with the cartoons, they're singular because they have the series. They can build off of those. And it keeps me excited. And it's just, I like animation. Um, I, I got in because of Darth Maul, to be honest with you. And before okay. that, I didn't, I wasn't huge mm-hmm. into Star Wars. And then I saw Darth Maul and I was like, this dude's dope. 
um oh this is star wars okay i'm i'm in because by the by the time i had seen star wars and all these other you know older movies i am um, like the originals i was already watching kung fu movies and like ninja scroll mm-hmm. and stuff so like my idea of action was well beyond that vader, yeah. you know vader <laughs> you talk about you know composition to some degree with uh well you, you talked about a lot but when i was younger i was a gymnast a competitive gymnast and i and i was also a dancer and so mm-hmm. i would take those and watch karate movies kung fu i was I was big into martial arts every weekend watching martial arts. And that's what I, I wanted to be the dancing, <laughs> the dancing <laughs> martial artist, you know, acrobat person. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and I noticed that I, I didn't quite know it till now what I was doing, but I was watching um, musicals all the time. That's what I'd watch mm. as well. And I would watch um, uh, singing in the rain, for example. And there's a lot of movement in singing in the rain. And I'm a huge movement person. You know, I can take the, the, the whole story and you've got me hooked. Um, and so I, I didn't know that's what to me pretty much was happening a lot of times in their story. Um, and I just, I just love the coloring and the layering of the colors in a lot of those movies. Mm-hmm. I think I'm freezing mm-hmm. on you. Am I freezing? Oh, uh, a little bit. You got, you got back to it though. Okay. No, that's that's uh. So, um, I didn't start really paying attention to a lot of that stuff until I got older. Star Wars hooked me in with a lot of the stuff that they did, but um, yeah, my love of of movement is huge to me. <laughs> yeah, that's really man. I love hearing you say that, and, and both of you guys, um, the the overlap, the significant overlap in choreographed dance and movement and musicals and in kung fu and martial arts and action films these uh you know there is a considerable amount of overlap and sometimes you watch some of the the old kung fu movies and you realize that the the choreography is more a dance than it is an actual you know fight that there are people who you know you even think of jackie chan being trained in the you know chinese opera and and those kinds of more performative acrobatic things that leads into his career as a film martial artist. Um, you know, not everybody has to come up the way that like Bruce Lee did, you know, being a, uh, you know, like a champion fighter. Uh, you don't have to start from that point. You know, there's so much, and especially for, for film, everything is a performance, right? So like performative dance, that isn't in for that. And man, there is, you put Kung Fu movies and and musicals side by side and you see overlap in colors, as you said, you see it in staging, you see it in the, you know, you can, you can know moments when somebody in an action movie is going to die based on how the choreography of the movement is set up five minutes earlier or 10 scenes earlier, you know, you can understand because there's a language built into it, just like in musicals, you know, when someone's falling in love with the way they, you know. The and way then black and white, you know, that's a whole other, you know, feeling and connection that you get, you know, yeah. yeah. I want to watch one black and white movie that I like. I think that was Cyrano de Bergerac. And have you ever seen that? It's like I have a, that. Oh, it's like a French. I, I have seen that, yeah. It's like a romance type of movie. He's an unattractive guy, but he's a champion swordsman. But yeah. he's a little spoken. 
and then his cousin falls in love with this girl or something like that. And then she likes the way he looks, but he's the one writing the love letters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's a whole thing. But it was one, the fighting was amazing. And I did not realize that anyone was fighting like that back then on film. It was ridiculous. And then, but the story was actually pretty good too. Um, but actually, that's a co- good question I do have for you. Are there any recent action films you've seen where you feel like they've got some, they've done an excellent job with the framing? Anything, any good examples of the techniques you're talking about? Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, one of my favorite people working today in that uh, arena is Zhang uh, Yimao, who did, uh, you know, Hero and House of Flying Daggers and uh, most recently in this action category, Shadow. Um, I thought that Shadow was an incredibly well-composed movie, and there are some very intriguing fights going on in that film as well. But what he's done to push the medium of action movies into, you know, sort of blurring the line between art film drama and, uh, you know, epic action film, uh, he's done some great work to push both forms further. And so for me, those are, uh, he's like, he's one of my go-tos for modern action movies. Um, I also thought that, and I know this is a few years back now, but still has a lasting impact on all of us, I'm sure. Uh, The Raid 2, you know, that movie um, stepped up the game on so many levels that uh, it just made me so excited to see, oh, what's going to happen next now that somebody finally broke through that barrier, you know, uh, of really great choreography and really thoughtful visuals. And I will say to that point, there's even a class that we teach that has examples from the raid where the director would shoot um, shoot the scenes in advance with the, the martial artist just in the, um, you know, in the dojo with just some mats on the ground uh, and shoot and pick all of his camera angles initially for the fight and then cut it together himself. And so he could watch how all the cuts would work. And it's just them. They're just wearing their sweats or whatever. And they're not like, you know, nothing fancy. But he just shot it a bunch of different times, did his cuts. And then you watch the end result of the raid too. And you can play the sequences side by side. And it's all the same shots, all the same. (laughs) But, uh, you know, one of them is high production value. And the other one is, you know, he's just got his little camera and he's out there getting it. So to to our point in our earlier discussion about intentionality that's it man the raid too mm. super intentional that's why it's great so so what did you uh cool. think about maybe the crouching tiger hidden dragon because that's probably in my opinion the most beautiful martial arts movie i've ever seen and i know they have the grand master and whatever else but like the story didn't hook me like mm-hmm. like the dual love story happening in Crouch and Tiger. Like I liked, I, I loved every, I think that's in my mind, that's probably the most perfect movie with action that I have ever seen. Really interesting. Yeah, it favorite. is. It is the, um, I would say it's the foundation of modern, modern um, action films in the sense that uh, you are, there, there's everything that happened before that movie and then there's everything now after that movie uh, it, and you know you can, you can contextualize it like I know a lot of film critics historically contextualize it as okay this was something that introduces this idea to Americans and then 
that that drives some of the industry's decisions and in mm. the Hollywood movies that are made. And so there's there's all that interplay, and that's very fair uh, assessment. But I think that what you're referencing um, is the 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 quality of the storytelling and how each uh, each element of the film is really operating on that top level. Everything, the costumes are incredible. The locations are incredible. The directing is incredible. There's nothing that isn't that doesn't have like the full weight of the whole production behind it at all times. And so yeah. when you make something that, that that's that sturdy, you know, it's that strong, you can press on it and it holds up. Uh, that's why it lasts for all this time. And I, I totally agree with you. It's one of my absolute favorites as well. Was that was was the Matrix prior or was it after? I so, think. Hmm. So I believe I, they're very much around the same time, if yeah, not the same good. year of release. Um, so, Crouching Tiger is 2000, okay. and I believe The Matrix is 99. Okay, that's what I thought. So that is what got – I loved everything you guys say uh, are saying about it. That's what took me out of it. <laughs> it, was, it was because I felt that the, the, the traveling, you know, um, when they would, you know, go across and fly – was a little oh, too much at times it would, and it would drive me nuts and not, i'm just like okay the matrix is my baseline for that oh and, and and then this is trying to do this and the art of it is just so beautiful i love the story i just did not i thought they overdid it at times in that that piece that's just that that's just me because i'm a huge matrix person so oh well it's really interesting to hear you say that because you're such a movement person and part of what i think yeah. might be involved with that is and and i know that uh ben's gonna know what i'm talking about here but like it's an escalation of palette that comes from a deep understanding of the form so when you watch a musical the level you're seeing it on is so much higher than the level, you know, just to use the terminology of a layperson, what they're seeing, they're not seeing yeah. all the steps in between. And so I think there are, you know, that you talk about things as being an acquired taste or like when I was a kid, I really only ate chicken nuggets, but now I <laughs> love a good, you know, cauliflower steak or whatever it is. The, there are increments of your investment in the genre and yeah. in the, you know exactly. the entertainment that you're watching and so as as ben saying the wire foo you know you go back and you look at the tradition of that and how that's escalated over time and then you watch it in crouching tiger and you go oh man they just blew the lid off this thing this thing was developing that, for yes. years and it just went yeah. so it almost feels like hitting it you know seeing a singer hit a crazy high note you're just like yeah. that note is a little much like it definitely is a little much it's very high <laughs> but wow i can't believe they hit that note it's insane so it's like that. Yeah, you know, I would. Yeah. That's exactly. That's exactly it. And like, because I came up watching like Lord of the Wu-Tang, you know, Kid with a Golden Arm, stuff like that. The Shaw Brothers they didn't have as much of it, but like Lord of the Wu-Tang was way over the top. Like it didn't make any sense, um, but it was fun. And so when I watched Crouching Tiger, I felt like the camera's smooth. It's kung fu, so it's wider shots. It's not raid. It's not born identity. It's it's designed to be smooth. So all the gliding matches. For me, it matches with the way that the story is being told and all the other elements. Ordinarily, I don't like it. Like, or I don't get into it in, in recent movies. I think people do a really weird job of wires. Um, and if anybody else had told a lesser story with all of that wire work, I would have been absolutely irritated. But because I knew what they were doing, I was like, okay, 
like I'm in, I'm in, I'm in for this one. So, but that's, I could, I could clearly see how someone would just be super irritated with it if they're not into that and they don't, they don't feel the same way about the rest of the, of the project. So that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and to that point, you know, Danielle, uh, you know, uh, the fight choreographer on the matrix is one of the all-time legends you know yuan Ping is the the top level guy uh so your taste on that is not off in any way i mean that's the <laughs> highest level of uh you know that's the guy you bring in when you want the absolute best right so you know you your standard for that like saying the matrix is your standard for wire work is like saying uh, I don't know what it's like saying. It's like say, saying gold is my standard for money or whatever. Pretty much. You know what I mean? like, yeah. You and know, I mean, a hope the diamond is my standard. <laughs> I think the, the Matrix is one of the best action kung fu movies I've seen. Because the funny part that I, it took me a while to learn until like when I started doing stunts and fighting was that it's not fast. It feels fast when you watch it, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but it's clean. Like those actors again train really hard to be able to do what they were doing, and you can see it in their performances. Like the the, the dojo fight with Matrix with uh, Neo and and uh, uh, oh my gosh, Lawrence, I'm a, I'm Lawrence Fishburne, Morpheus, man, Morpheus. Morpheus. So <laughs> that fight, yeah, like that's the one that people normally remember. They do yeah. remember Trinity's you know crane kick deal, but that moment with those two fighting in that dojo, and I know Kung Fu is like this. Fight is not all that complicated, but it's beautiful and it's exactly clean. Right. And the form is it's so clean. And I think that that changed, that changed a bunch when it comes to like how people viewed martial arts and movies, especially in America, because we I've been watching the Eastern stuff this entire time. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm watching things like Blade, which goes under the radar for yeah, setting a standard, exactly. also right. uh, yeah. and black leather, by the way. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I was before Matrix. I'm just saying, people often forget they were first with some of that stuff. Um, but you watch American movies, and a lot of times we were we were just very lazy with the action. And when you saw that movie, like okay, they're taking this Wachowski Wachowskis are taking that very very yeah. seriously and i appreciated that because okay now people know you can make a good action movie you can take american actors who care even if they're not necessarily lifelong martial artists mm -hmm. and you can make it look good and even guys like me will still like it who are very very picky about the fighting will still like it so they did it they did a fantastic job with that one yeah absolutely totally agree is there anything that you're currently working on right now, though, that you're like excited about? Like anything spe specific besides just the general film reframed? Like any projects or anything upcoming in film reframe that you're really, really excited about? Yeah, we're really looking forward to. Uh, we got two two projects in development right now, and uh, one of the one that excites me personally is uh, an intensive workshop on understanding color. So when we talk about color in movies, you know, I think a lot of people are. Uh, a little bit intimidated by the concept of making a very colorful movie, especially within the confines of, you know, the modern aesthetic that we're seeing in mm -hmm. movies is kind of desaturated, harmonized. And I can even get into it a little bit, but just to say that, um, you know, the modern look of movies stems from a couple different things. But one of them is the fact that we shoot everything with uh, as much preservation of visual data as possible. Now we shoot in that raw format that 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, keeps everything very low contrast and low color. And that's our baseline of where we start. So number one, people are becoming familiarized with that part of their footage first, and they're starting to internalize that as the baseline. Uh, and then the second thing is when you do that, it really, they, they do that. So you have a lot of leverage in post-production with the color grade so that you can adjust colors the way that you want it. But what that does is that removes the amount of intentionality you're putting into the colors in pre-production and production. So what we often see is movies that don't particularly work in the raw footage, the way that it's shot, that the colors aren't quite right. We're going in in post and we're harmonizing those colors by making adjustments, but also by desaturating it. Because if you desaturate an image, the colors clash less and they harmonize. But what you're losing there is the vibrance and saturation that makes a really compelling image. If you think of like a Wes Anderson movie or like Grand Budapest, you're like the colors are just hitting me. It's because the colors are all there for real. The colors are there in the movie. And so that's what our intensive is going to be discussing is how do you uh get a get your real your head around color so that you don't have to be afraid of making those irreversible decisions in pre-production and and production and you can then uh you know really tell a story that's vibrant and uh you know maybe breaks the the plateau of all of these sort of desaturated films one of my favorite films by the way Grand Budapest Hotel. Love, love, love that. It's beautiful. One of the movies I watched because of that reason. Because of what? Because of the color. Because I've heard when people say, like, you know, watch this movie because of the 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 way that the uh, the the prop work or the staging or the camera um, lighting. Grand Budapest has come up a number of times because of the color and how intentional um, the color choices are. Yeah, I was like, okay, because it's something that I, I'm not gonna say I struggle with, but sometimes, like in the rush to do other things, I overlook mm-hmm. something like that, which is an which is like, it's like giving up a tool out of your belt. You know, yeah. what I mean? you, you need me on set more, Ben, because I love love I I love the artistry of okay and the locations and all of that composition i just adore that so yeah yeah that's awesome yeah we all need a danielle on our team somebody looking out for (laughs) you everybody out there needs a danielle absolutely i i wholeheartedly roman said it i agree to that absolutely (laughs) roman you're my my new best friend just to let you know yeah that's it i'm your hype man i'm (laughs) you are my hot man what what do you need (laughs) exactly So um, I got your back too, by the way. No, no, cool. So is there, you know, I think we already kind of went over your long-term goals with, with film reframed and what you're trying to accomplish uh, with with your organization. I just think that's really, really cool that um, a lot of us like, like Daniel, I didn't go to film school either. Um, And I have, I have smatterings of trainings in different things. Right. Uh, but I didn't get a go. I don't have a, a bachelor's from UT from the film department. I didn't have time to go do that. Um, I got into film a little later. And by the time I got in, I was like, well, let's just, let's just do it. Let's just buy stuff and, and fight and kick things and fall and record stuff. So, so what I like about um, courses like yours is that I'll come back and see something. And I'm like, Oh, there's a nugget that I missed because in a formal education, there's a progression. 
And there's a list of things like checklists that they're going through that you learn. But when you learn on the fly, you might get really good at something, but that doesn't mean that you uh, took a class on color theory. You know what I mean? Like you didn't, you didn't, there's things you just skip and you do because it's the way other people are doing it. And a lot of times if you're just emulating what other people are doing, you can't, you can't leave your mark because that's not even really self-expression. You're just doing it because that's the way that it's done. You don't understand why it's being done that way. So there's a, a bunch of things that I, when you talk to people who do, like I hear trainings on people who did like film, like actual film, of which I have very little interest in being involved in, to be honest with you, after hearing what all that takes. Um, and there's processes that are left over from that part of, of filmmaking that don't really serve us, some of us now. But we wouldn't know because we don't know why we're doing it. We're just we're just copying what everybody's been doing for 60 years. So uh, I think we get a lot. People can get a lot of value from taking courses like yours and shoring up some of those areas where maybe we skipped a step or two, uh, skipped a progression. And now, you know, we can have a, a better understanding of how to put our vision on screen and express ourselves through that vision. Yeah, I think you put that really well because, um you know, even to just track what you said about how we're all out here, maybe emulating techniques that people who shot on film were doing, but that serve no uh, practical purpose now, but we're still doing it because we, we saw someone else do it. You know, that's how we learn things as kids. We would watch an adult do something. We go, oh, this, I'll do that because that's what I'm, you know, I'm trying to learn how to exist in this society and this culture. Um, that's how, how everybody learns. But uh, when you lose sight of uh, the intentionality behind what you're doing or why you're, you're you're emulating somebody, especially as an adult who can you know kind of focus their decisions in a in a um, impactful way, then you get off track. And film reframed, we're here to give you those foundational elements of learning so that you can express yourself in your own voice. You're not watching our courses and then emulating what we do. We're teaching you why this works on a, I mean, in some cases, why this works on a subconscious, you know, subliminal, unexplainable level. We're teaching you how these things just we've, you know, scientifically track. If you do this, this is what happens, you know, and this is, uh, you know, a foundation of information that's been available to us for hundreds of years from artists in all mediums who've been trying and testing these things over time. So we're really here to synthesize that whole world of information that is maybe very hard to even know where to start finding it. And we're here to bring it to you in a way that makes it actionable and makes it at the root of your decision. So you can always check back in with yourself and say, why am I doing this? And to your nice. point, then, you know, if you see somebody doing something and you go, oh, I, maybe I need to do it that way. Maybe my film needs to be desaturated because that's what everybody seems to be doing. You can check back in with yourself and go, wait, what's the foundation of this endeavor? And maybe the foundation is, you know, I want to make someone feel excited. And you go, okay, does desaturate line up with excited? <laughs> and if the answer is no, then you, then you consciously decide I'm going to pursue maybe a more colorful movie. And then you can go, it's the kind of thing when you, like when you buy a car, and then you start to notice everybody else who has that car, but you never noticed before, or like you're thinking of buying a car and then you're like, Hey, there's that Jeep. Hey, there's that Jeep. Yeah. Uh, once you, once you just get it in your head, uh, 
you you have the thought and you have some kind of intention there, you start to see it being reinforced around you and you start to notice. It's not like it's new. It's not like those cars magically sprung up because I was considering buying a Jeep. It's just that the now that I have an awareness and I'm attuned to it, now I'm seeing a lot of them. And so that's what we're trying to do filmically is we're trying to make you aware of these core concepts so that you can start to see them and everything else. And then you can follow those paths that align most with your intention. So again, if it's color and all the movies you're seeing are desaturated right now, if you're aligned with the intention of color, you start to see the ones that aren't that way. There are always exceptions and there are incredible examples through the history of film where color is the, you know, so vibrant and they're regarded as some of the best films. So it's easy to stay trapped in a bubble of just who's around you if you don't have that core. Right. And so we're looking to help you build your core like an athlete, like a fighter, you know, build your core, get the, you know, core muscles together. (laughs) Right. It all starts from there. Get that six pack working. I have a question for you. So um, is there a community that's attached to your program? So conversations that can keep going or inquiries or to help each other is, is, is that also involved? Yeah, absolutely. So a little backstory is we started right at the beginning of the pandemic because uh, Caviar Productions was looking to create uh, some uh, online learning opportunities for filmmakers who had recently been displaced from their work when the coronavirus first hit and everybody was like, whoa, we're off production, nothing's happening. So they brought together a variety of instructors, including me, uh, film professionals, people that weren't, you know, trained instructors, just, you know, uh, people in the industry to teach to their fellow filmmakers. And so when that started, we had hundreds of filmmakers around the world come listen to the webinar. And when I was speaking about composition, we had hundreds of people, we had people in Brussels and Spain and, uh, you know, Mexico, all these different places and messaging and saying, Oh, I, you know, I love this. I want to learn more about this. Will you put on more? Will you do more? And so when their, the caviar series ended, uh, that's when we decided to start this business. We said, we have so many people reaching out for more information that we think that this is our opportunity to give something of value to our community, our, our global filmmaking community. And since that's where we started, that's how we've continued to develop is how do we keep all of these filmmakers in touch and learning and growing together so we have our instagram page where we have people commenting on posts and i mean if you see the amount of dms that we have between me and all of our students around the world ever i end every class by saying if you have any questions or you just want to talk movies send me an email at this send me a dm here because we love to foster that conversation and i'm personally now friends with people all over the world that i would have never known because that's how we view this community and when we do the intensives, when we do the, the weekend live webinars, uh, everybody who joins in the call, it looks like this. It looks like us here with our videos and we're here learning. And I incorporate people into the lessons. I ask them, what are you working on? When, how can we apply this technique to something you're doing? And then everybody gets to learn based on their particular use case of what they want to do. And so it just builds. We even had a conversation about uh, you know, representation in film where it just came up in this director's workshop naturally that that's what people were interested in is how do you respect, you know, uh, 
different people's perspectives when you're making a movie how do you involve the right people yeah and at that point it was no longer me teaching the class but the class teaching itself people jumping in talking to each other and again you're getting that world perspective because it is global because it's online so you have people from all over and uh you know that's i think that's the heart of the community that we have at film reframed is people who are so passionate about this stuff that they are very open to sharing and listening and i think that's you know continue with thank us you for now. sharing that i appreciate that that's yeah, really cool man um so we're winding down right now but if you had to give let's say some some quick hits like one or two things that like i got five minutes with a brand new filmmaker <laughs> this is here's some quick tips to make your stuff not suck real bad uh what would you say mm. wow that's a great question. <laughs> that's a great question. It's just the way we put it, too. <laughs> yeah. No, that's really funny. Um, one of the first things I would say is when you're approaching something, don't think of it as a movie. Think of it as something that you want to express. If you were going to tell your movie as a story to your friend to make them laugh while you're hanging out together, what parts of the story would you include and what parts would you leave out? If you were uh trying to write your movie as a song how loud would the music get at a certain point or when would you really punch the high note think of your movie not as a movie but as an expression of of what you're trying to share with somebody and when you can contextualize it in all the different ways you would maybe express that if you drew someone a picture if you spoke to them if you uh you know again made it as a song whatever then you can understand what really matters about what you're trying to say and getting grounded in that part of what you're doing, if you can just understand what's important about what you're trying to do, your, your intuition will guide you through a lot of the hard decisions that are maybe impossible to prepare for when you're not trained through experience, right? So your question is, you know, to a, to a new filmmaker or somebody who's just like starting out and they're, they're young. I can't say go get two decades worth of experience <laughs> because that comes with time. And that's what you're going, that's what you're going to get. You're going to naturally get there because you're pursuing what you're doing, you know, at all times. So you're going to gain that. I don't have to tell you to get that. You know that you're going to have to actually make things and actually talk to people and actually get involved with people. So that part you already have, but I would say just getting clear on the intention of what you're trying to share is probably the you know it's the secret weapon right uh, it's it's what you're gonna it's what's gonna hold you through all of the varying opinions you're gonna hear throughout the course of your career right you know you might the first person you meet who tells you about movies they might say you know it, what if it's me like what if you hear me first right mm -hmm. i have valuable things to share but maybe that's not the thing that resonates with your heart maybe your journey is you know for ben Maybe it was like, I saw the choreography from Darth Maul and I was like, that's it. I'm in, I got to go harder. And so, you know, how are you going to find the thing that really gets you on your track if you don't understand what's, what's driving you here? And so that's like, uh, that's the only advice I can even think to give is just, <laughs> you know, honing, honing here so that it, it will just guide, you know, then you don't have to do all that work all the time of, you know, wondering, oh, is he right? Is he right? You get this figured out. And 
That is good, especially as a director, especially someone who's putting something together. Um, it's like for Danielle, when you're talking about, you know, you're great with color. Well, it would be, it could be great if I had no, no opinion and you came in and did everything for me, that's fine. But we may have a discordant view and that's my fault if I'm the director and I bring you on and I don't know what I really want and what part of what you're suggesting matches with my actual vision. So, no, that's, that's actually really, really good what you're saying. And it's funny because, um, we're working on a fantasy project right now and it's been very educational for me um, because I've got to do a number of different things. And even on this one, I have to hire a director because I have to be in it. So I can't, I can't direct it. But in the conversations with the director about what I saw and are we in alignment with what I kind of thought about the project, it's been very revealing because one of the things that stood out is that when I talk to people about that project, the most exciting part is no longer the magic or the, or the sword play or whatever. It was like these plots that I didn't have even in mind when I first wrote the movie or started writing the project. It's now, I'm talking about the political intrigue and the, the clashing of different ideas and how these guys represent this. And this group is representing freedom in this way, but there's flaws because see that person da, 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 and how these two are smashing together. And it's interesting because my wife was actually telling me she was talking to someone about the project and that's the part that they cared about. It's like, yeah, the spectacle is going to pull you in with the magic and freaking shadow warrior wave power or whatever the crap he's going to be doing. But what's actually going to going to hold you is just like Game of Thrones. It's like what's holding you is the intrigue of how do these pieces come together? Where the, where is this character going to take it? Ooh, well, what about this guy? Um, unfortunately, HBO and those shows tend to also hold your attention with gratuitous sex scenes in the first six episodes. But um, beyond that part, um, normally as the story is very good is how they continue to hold you past season number one. So um, it's, it's interesting that you say that. And it's, it just reminded me of those conversations that I've been recently having. So. Yeah. It's very interesting to hear you say that because it relates back to when you asked me the question, who am I really enjoying in, you know, action cinema these days? And I said, Dong Yu Mao, he has a quote that says, basically, there's no action in his movies that aren't motivated by an inevitable conflict between the characters. So the only time he has a fight scene in his movie is when the characters, the trajectory they're on has no choice but to eventually end up clashing with each other. So there's not fights there's for the sake of spectacle. Yeah, it's the intentionality of knowing okay, because of this character's values and because of his situation and because of his life's background and this character and because of her background and because of where she is in this moment, there's going to be a moment where their paths have no choice but to connect. That and if their, their values uh, pose in that mm -hmm. way, then it's going to, to manifest in a physical fight. Start and that's, Cap. that's what motivates that. You know? Iron Man and Captain America. Uh, yep and that goes you know for the actor side of me that's also the 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 tools that you use within the story you know whatever that is if it's a cigarette if it's a if it's the certain type of knife what's the story attached what's the intentionality with those i i like all of that all together that whole composition of mm. everything so that is nice yeah. well, um, 
I definitely, I got, some, I got some good snippets. We're going to make some good little cuts out of this one because there's some. Yeah. There's and some I have to say this real fast. I know I'm interrupting you, Ben, but I adore, I am just, I, I've never heard anybody say, use the mute, use a song and take that. Cause I am, I'm big in the music and I'm like, Oh, that's brilliant. Yes. I love for that. Sure. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, the, the real core of that message is take whatever it is that if you can just take yourself out of that, you know, focus yeah. mindset of film, film, film and understand like where everything in your life, even go for a walk. And for me, I go for a walk in my neighborhood and I see some crows in a tree and I see the way they're talking to each other. And I just think, oh, man, that's so interesting. Like that, that dynamic that they have, like I could see that as a character dynamic or something I'm working on, whatever, you know, it's just, you can see it in everything. Once you, uh, you know, break out of that, that sort of single-minded focus of yeah. just film. And so for you, if it's a song that resonates awesome, you know, it, yeah. that's, that's all I wanted to share. Yeah. yeah that is and awesome. I, and I wrote a children's book, just like what you just said, just because I saw <laughs> oh, that cool. happening. I wrote a children's book. Yeah. Yeah. So cool beans. <laughs> No, that's actually all the questions I had for today. Was there anything you uh, we missed that you wanted to go over, Roman, or mention? Or uh, no, I just think that maybe um, earlier in the message uh, we talked about uh, something about how um, how film reframed helps audiences experience of a movie. And while I think that the answer that I gave is uh, accurate i also was finding myself being distracted by something that was happening off camera over here and i just felt like i didn't have my head totally on so if i could maybe take another pass at uh go for it that, and then you can, cut, you can cut that together with the question or whatever <laughs> <laughs> no go ahead uh, look we're just this, this we're still in interviews so just, it, they're gonna see it all great well uh yeah so i you know it's something that I feel very passionately about. So that's why I wanted to make sure that the answer is very clear and direct. The idea is fairly simple, which is um, when you think of human psychology, they say that, um, and I, I won't quote an exact percentage, but they say that the vast majority of communication between humans happens non-verbally. So what you say is only a very small part of what people understand. And the rest is all of the contextual information they have, uh, both about how they know the world works through their perspective and also what they know about you as a person, you know, and how they've interacted with you before. And so when you're making a movie, we're seeing everything that everybody is doing. And this is a testament to the actors involved, right? But you're seeing how people's body language interacts with each other. You're seeing a pattern of behavior across the span of a movie of how a character is acting. So if you see a character be mean and, and kick a dog five times in the movie, when you see a dog later, you're already worried for that dog because you know, it's been established somebody else. Right. So there's, there's so much um, potential for movies to communicate non-verbally and to do it in a way that resonates with people beyond their conscious understanding. That's what gives you that, you know, your heart beating fast in the movie or you start to choke up and feel sad. It's all, it's the summation of all of these small decisions to give you this visual information over the course of the film. And so what we do at Film Reframed is we take examples directly from those movies and then we draw on top of them exactly what elements of each frame are causing those kinds of responses in your audience and how 
the parts equal a much larger sum. So we take it from something that is very, that is often discussed as a very esoteric or like, you know, just intangible thing. Oh, some filmmakers just have the talent or some, you know, they just have this inherent understanding. We take these things that people don't put words to because it is very complex. And we, instead of just articulating it with our vocabulary, we show you with an active drawing where it's happening. And that kind of learning helps it get into your internal decision-making process so that when you do make a movie for people to view, the emotional result that they get from your movie benefits from all that work you did to train early on. And so I'd say in particular, um, you know, respect to the Austin Action Fest, uh, you know, when it comes to action sequences, right, you do all this training ahead of time. You train for months about the actual sequence. You train your own strength. You've been maybe doing it your whole life. All that training is so that for that three minutes on film, <laughs> people get this transcendent experience of a perfectly clean fight, you know? And yeah. so for filmmakers, Film Reframed is kind of that training. That's that's the, the martial arts dojo for filmmakers is come to Film Reframed Get, get your core strength and then show up on the day and you know that you can be confident in what you want to do on set. That is, that's perfect. Beautiful. That's go. That's going in a clip. Uh. <laughs> Ramley, can you tell people where they can find you in our lovely world by web? Absolutely. So uh, the best way to connect is to uh, jump on Instagram at film reframed. Uh, you can send me a DM, even if you've never introduced yourself before, and just say, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm here, I want to know more. How do I get involved? Uh, and also, you can send us an email at hello at filmreframe.com. Uh, additionally, the main hub for everything that we do here to see the new courses, to see, you know, every month we have new intensive up on the site, and we start a new cycle of our core classes, our essentials, and our exploring. All of that is at filmreframe.com. So, uh google you know google us film reframed that's how you connect everybody check roman out and yes. um, and sign up for the classes you will not be disappointed roman yeah. i would love for you we're gonna venture out pretty soon to um clubhouse mm. and i would love for you um to come on to clubhouse with us and be on stage in a yeah. moderator room with us and answer questions and invite your uh invite your crew that's all over the world to come and, um, uh, and, and, um, and get involved in the learning and just have a big party on clubhouse of education. <laughs> if you're up for that, when we, when we step into that arena, if you're up for it. So. Yeah, that sounds fun. You know, really, again, it's aligning with the intention. My intention is to share this useful information with as many people as possible. And, uh, you know, you guys seem to be doing great work and I, I love that, you know, each of your, personal journeys has led you to this kind of intersection of of how you work together and how you share information about movies so i'm very happy to be part of that in you know whatever way that looks like whether it's on clubhouse or in person after all this coronavirus stuff's going on or you know whatever it is oh well that too that too (laughs) (laughs) no awesome actually uh i think it might be be cool to have a conversation about uh maybe roman doing a class or something the uh, upcoming festival be it pre-recorded or live 
Uh, if you like that idea, put some notes in the comments and uh, and or put some comments below uh, when you guys see this, and we'll we'll see if we can con them into doing that. So, <laughs> on that note, um, yeah, guys, I think that's about it. Um, it's pretty much it for me. It, Roman, appreciate you so much for coming out and chatting with us today. I, I have learned a ton, as I often do. Uh, he had a silky smooth delivery, right? I don't know what kind of microphone voice, that Roman. is. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks I'm so much. I'm my mic game now. Uh, this is just right here. It's just this thing. <laughs> organic. It's all organic, right? Um, so, no, really, uh, thank you so much for coming and coming and hanging out with us. And you got plenty of other places you could be. So, we appreciate you coming and sharing all the information with our little clan uh, of Filmmakers International. And um, we look forward to uh, chatting with you in the future. That sounds great. Thank you guys so much. It was a real pleasure, genuinely. Thank you, Rowan. Awesome. With that, catch you guys with the next one. All right. Thank you for listening to the Austin Action Fest podcast.